and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalid Mumsi, the fifth Ayyad al bin Aziz, stated, Accounts from the time of Hazrat Umar anhu were being mentioned. With regard to this, today the conquest of Jerusalem will be mentioned, which took place in 15 Hijri. After the forces under the leadership of Hazrat Umar bin As had besieged Jerusalem, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah joined them with his army. Becoming wary of the siege, the Christians proposed a peace treaty, but on the condition that Hazrat Umar would himself come and agree to terms. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah informed Hazrat Umar of this matter when Hazrat Umar consulted with the companions. Hazrat Ali suggested that Hazrat Umar should go. Hazrat Umar approved of this suggestion and appointed Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu as Amir of Medina. In another narration, it is said that Hazrat Usman was made the Amir of Medina. Following this, Hazrat Umar departed for Jerusalem. This journey was not an ordinary excursion. The purpose of it was to impress the awe of Islam onto its enemies' hearts and to establish its grandeur. However, when Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu departed, unlike worldly kings, there was no extravagant procession accompanying him, nor was there any beating of drums. It was such that not even a simple tent was brought along. Instead, Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu was riding a horse accompanied by a few Muhajireen and Ansar companions. In one narration, it is said that Hazrat Umar was traveling by camel and accompanied only by a single servant who was carrying parched grains and a wooden bowl. Despite these conditions, the earth would tremble at the news that Hazrat Umar was travelling from Medina to Jerusalem. This is a short account of the journey, and there are not many details about it. Nonetheless, Ilya was the name of where Jerusalem is situated. The details of who besieged Jerusalem are mentioned in Tabari, including who requested Hazrat Umar to come there. 
It is mentioned in Tabari that Hazrat Amr bin As wrote to Hazrat Umar requesting reinforcements. Hazrat Amr bin As sent a letter to Hazrat Umar. He explained that he is fighting intense and fierce battles and there are many cities that still remain to be engaged with. So he awaits further instructions. Upon receiving this letter from Hazrat Amr bin As, Hazrat Umar understood that this letter must have been written after careful consideration. Following this, Hazrat Umar announced his departure amongst the public and set forth on his journey. Tabari also mentions that the actual reason for Hazrat Umar's journey to Syria was when Hazrat Abu Ubaidah arrived in Jerusalem, the people asked for a peace treaty on the same conditions as was established with the cities in Syria. They also desired that Hazrat Umar should represent the Muslims as their leader in taking this covenant of peace. When Hazrat Abu Ubaidah wrote to Hazrat Umar about this letter, Hazrat Umar set out from Medina. However, some historians are not in agreement with this narration about Hazrat Abu Ubaidah. In this regard, Muhammad Hussein Haikal writes, It is imperative that we consider this narration documented by Tabari, Ibn Athir and Ibn Kathir, which mentions that Hazrat Khalid bin Walid and Hazrat Abu Ubaidah bin Jarrah, either individually or cooperatively, laid siege on Jerusalem to be far from the truth. Tabari narrates that the reason Hazrat Umar came to Syria was because when Hazrat Abu Ubaidah besieged Jerusalem, the people asked for a peace treaty on the same conditions as was established with other regions of Syria. However, they added the condition that Hazrat Umar should be present for the finalization of the peace agreement. Accordingly, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah sent word of this to the Khalifa and Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu departed from Medina. He writes, I believe these accounts to be untrue, that Hazrat Abu Ubaidah and Hazrat Khalid were present at the siege of Jerusalem. They were occupied with conquests in Homs, Halab, Antakya and other surrounding areas. While Heraclius was collecting his forces in Roha, in hope of driving the Muslims away by force. All these events took place in 15 Hijri or 636 CE along with the siege of Jerusalem. He further writes, In my opinion, the truth is that the siege of Jerusalem lasted for many months during the same year that these two commanders went deeper into Syria to the extent that it forced Heraclius to take refuge in his capital. In these circumstances in which these two were occupied, it does not make sense to say that one of them or both of them besieged Jerusalem. That is why this narration must be rendered unacceptable. 
The only other narration that remains is that Hazrat Amr bin As besieged Jerusalem, which lasted for a long time. Tabari has made mention of this as well. The people of Jerusalem fiercely and intensely opposed the Muslims. This is the correct narration according to Haikal, because it is consistent with this resistance. In other words, the battle that was taking place revealed that it was the same resistance shown to others who attacked Jerusalem throughout history. Muhammad Hussain Haikal further writes, It is astonishing that Hazrat Umar would set out with an army only to finalize the peace treaty and for the promulgation of the agreement. Similarly, it is astonishing that the people of Jerusalem requested the presence of Hazrat Umar for the finalization of the peace treaty, knowing well that if a caravan were to travel to them from Medina continuously, it would take a full three weeks. For this reason, Haikal writes, in light of the lengthy siege and letters from Hazrat Amr bin As which detailed the enemy's strength and requested reinforcements, Hazrat Umar's patience began to wear thin. Thus, Hazrat Umar accompanied the reinforcements who set up camp in Jabia, located between the Syrian desert and Jordan. During this time, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah and Hazrat Khalid had also concluded their conquest of Syria. Hazrat Umar sent an order for both of them to convene in Jabia so that he could deliberate with them and other army commanders about the best plan of action for the success of the conquest of Jerusalem. Atrabun and Safar News received news of the arrival of Hazrat Umar Here there is a conflict in names. In Arabic books, the name recorded is Artabun, but according to Haikal, that is not correct. The name is Atrabun, according to his research. The name Sophronius in Arabic books is Sophronius. He was informed of what was happening in Syria owing to Hazrat Abu Baida and Hazrat Khalid, and so he understood. In any case, he says that Hazrat Umar sought to find a way and come up with a strategy. And so he gathered the people for this. He was informed of what was happening in Syria owing to Hazrat Abu Baida and Hazrat Khalid. And so he understood. That is to say, these two chieftains of the enemy understood that withstanding of Jerusalem would not last much longer, i.e. that it was becoming more and more difficult for fighting to endure. Therefore, Atrabun took some of the army with him and entered Egypt covertly. Being convinced of his own security, an elderly priest began discussing a peace treaty as he understood that the leader of the faithful had reached Jabia and was staying there. For this reason, he placed a condition that he should attend himself in person to write up the peace treaty. The distance between Jabia and Jerusalem 
was not extensive that any excuse be presented in response to the request of Sophronius. He says that this is what I deem correct and to be in accordance with the historical context around the incidents regarding the attacks on Syria and Palestine. As it were, in relation to the consultation of Hazrat Umar after receiving these letters, he has written that Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu gathered all the revered companions having received the letters and took consultation. Hazrat Usman gave his suggestion that the Christians are terrified and hopeless, so you should refuse their request. In this way, they will be further humiliated and lay down their arms unconditionally, knowing that the Muslims see them as insignificant. However, Hazrat Ali advised against this and instead suggested Hazrat Umar to go to Ilya and said that the Muslims had endured extraordinary hardships from fighting in the cold and the prolonged stay. If you go there, there will be security, prosperity and betterment for you and the Muslims. But if you dishearten them in having any further peace treaty, that will not bode well for you. The enemy shall remain sat in their fortresses and reinforcements shall arrive from their land and from the Byzantine emperor, especially seeing as they deem Jerusalem to be of great importance and a site of pilgrimage. Hazrat Umar was pleased with the suggestion of Hazrat Ali and accepted it. Among the Muhajireen and Ansar who accompanied Hazrat Umar on this journey was Hazrat Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib. There is a narration of Abu Sayyid Maqbari in relation to this journey that after performing the morning prayer, Hazrat Umar went to his companions, turned to them and said, All praise belongs to Allah who has honoured us with Islam and faith, who has granted us honour through accepting Muhammad wasallam, through whom we were granted guidance out of our misguidance, who united us as one rather than dispersing us into groups, who has granted love in our hearts, who has granted us support through him against the enemy, who has settled us in different cities, and through the Holy Prophet wasallam, he has made us tender to one another and like brothers. Thus, praise Allah the Almighty for these bounties. Seek further help of Him. Seek the ability to thank Allah for these blessings. Pray that Allah the Almighty completes these favours for you, which you have been given. For Allah the Almighty desires that one turns to Him and complete His favours upon those who are grateful. Hazrat Umar continued stating this every morning of this journey from the beginning right until he had returned and he did not forsake it. Uh, he continued to give the same message every day. The commanders of the Muslim army were informed that they should come and meet in Jabia. In accordance with this announcement, Yazid bin Abi Sufyan and Khalid bin Walid etc. met with, with him. Having remained in Syria, these chieftains had lost their simplicity. 
Hence, when they came before Hazrat Umar in a state where they were wearing beautiful silk and brocades, they had ceremonious dresses and luxury garments, and it seemed from their outward appearance that they were non-Arabs. Hazrat Umar was furious. He dismounted from his horse, picked up and threw some pebbles towards them, asking why they had adopted the non-Arab custom so quickly. They said that beneath the dresses were their weapons, i.e. they never gave up their art of fighting. Hazrat Umar then said, If this is true, then it is fine that you wore this to display to them, but inside you are still Arabs. It is mentioned in one narration that Yazid bin Abi Sufyan said, O leader of the faithful, we have many garments and riding animals. Life is very good. Goods are very cheap. And the state of the Muslims is such that would please you. If you wear these white clothes, ride these fine animals, and give the Muslims to eat out of the plentiful grain and wheat, it would be a means of increasing your reputation and a means of adoring your discharging of state responsibilities and a way to increase your grandeur in the eyes of the non-Arabs. Upon this, Hazrat Umar replied, O Yazid, no, by Allah, I shall never forsake this appearance in which I left my two companions, i.e. I shall remain in the same state that I left the Holy Prophet and Hazrat Abu Bakr and I shall not adopt this adornment and decoration for the sake of the people, for I fear that in doing so it may leave me sinful in the eyes of my Lord. And I do not wish for my state to be of grandeur before the people, but lowly before Allah the Almighty. Hence, Hazrat Umar remained in the state in which the Holy Prophet and Hazrat Abu Bakr lived in their lives until he passed from this world. In relation to the way in which the peace treaty was formed between the Muslims and the Christians and where the agreement took place according to the people of Ilya, many historians have written that the pact between the Muslims and Christians was formed in Jabia. It is written that during the stay in Jabia, Hazrat Umar sat in the army ranks when all of a sudden some horse riders were seen coming in a hurry whilst their weapons were shining. The Muslims immediately took up their weapons. Hazrat Umar asked what the matter was. The people pointed towards the horse riders. To this he said, Worry not, for these people have come to seek peace. They were the people of Ilya, with whom a peace treaty had been agreed. Then in another narration, Alama Buladri and Muhammad Hussain Haikal have written that a peace treaty was formed in Ilya, not Jabia. In fact, in his book, Muhammad Hussain Haikal has also written in another instance that the treaty was agreed in Jabia. With regards to the wording of the pact between the Muslims and the people of Ilya, it has been recorded in Tarikh Tabari as follows. In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. This is the assurance of safety which the servant of God, Umar, the leader of the faithful, has given to the people of Ilya. An assurance of safety is granted for themselves, for their wealth, their churches, their crosses, the sick and healthy of the city and their entire nation. No one shall reside in their churches or homes and nor will they be destroyed. 
The boundaries of their homes and churches will not be reduced, and nor will their crosses or wealth be destroyed. There will be no compulsion upon them in matters of faith, and nor will they be given any trouble. No one from among the Jews will live with them in Ilya, and it is incumbent upon the people of Ilya to pay the jizya, just as the inhabitants of the other cities do. They should expel the Byzantines and those who are instigating disorder from Ilya. And the life and wealth of those who are taken out from there will be protected until they reach their place of safety. And whoever amongst them wishes to remain in Ilya, they will be granted protection and they will have to pay the jizya, just like the other inhabitants of Ilya do. Among the people of Ilya, whoever wishes to go to the Byzantines and leave behind their places of worship and crosses, then their lives, places of worship and crosses will remain protected. Even if they leave them behind, no harm will be done to them until they reach their place of safety. Prior to the battle in Ilya, those who were among the farmers and who now wish to remain settled upon their land, they also need to pay the jizya like the people of Ilya do. However, those who wish to go with the Byzantines can do so, and whoever wants to return to their homes, they can do so, and no jizya will be taken from them until the harvest of their crops. The conditions laid out in this letter are under the covenant of God and are the responsibility of His Prophet ﷺ, of the caliphs and of the faithful until they pay the jizya. Hazrat Khalid bin Walid, Hazrat Amr bin As, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf, Hazrat Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan testified to this treaty. In Tariq ibn Khaldun, it is written that in light of this treaty, the following is evident. Number one, the Muslims did not spread their religion through the use of the sword. Number two, during the era of their governance, people greatly enjoyed the freedom to practice their religion. Number three, the non-Muslims were not forced to pay the jizya. Rather, it was their choice to stay in the land and pay the jizya, and in both instances, they were afforded with protection. When news of this treaty reached the people of Ramla, they were also eager to settle a similar treaty with Hazrat Umar anhu. The same was the case with the rest of the people who dwelled in Palestine. The people of Lud received a letter from Hazrat Umar and those cities were also addressed in that who later accepted the rule of the Muslims. In this letter, the people of Lud were granted protection by Hazrat Umar for themselves, their wealth, their churches, their crosses, including their sick and healthy, and also the people from all over the faiths, but on the condition that if they pay the jizya, just like the citizens of Syria did, there will be no compulsion in matters of their faith, and nor will they be given any trouble on account of their religious differences. After seeing to these two tasks, Hazrat Umar then appointed two governors over Palestine and divided the land in two. Al-Qama bin Hakim was appointed to govern Ramla, and Al-Qama bin Mujazziz was to govern Ilya. Hazrat Umar then arrived in Bayt al-Maqdis. In regards to this, it is written, that after granting protection to the people of Ilya, Hazrat Umar stationed the army there and then travelled from Jabia to Betul Maqdis. It is written that when Hazrat Umar mounted upon his horse, he realised that the horse was limping, 
owing to an injury to one of his hooves. A horse of Turkish breed was brought before Hazrat Umar. Hazrat Umar mounted upon it. It began to prance, and so he dismounted. A few days later, Hazrat Umar called for his original horse, which he was not using as it was being treated. Hazrat Umar mounted upon the horse and travelled on it to Betul Maqdis. When they reached near Betul Maqdis, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah and a few other army chiefs came out to receive him. Hazrat Umar was wearing an extremely simple and modest attire and thinking what the Christians might say upon seeing him in this manner, they presented him with an expensive garment. However, Hazrat Umar stated, The honour Allah the Almighty has conferred upon me is that of Islam, and that is sufficient for me. The Christian priests themselves handed over the keys to the city gates to Hazrat Umar. Hazrat Umar first went to Masjid Aqsa and then went to the church of the Christians and toured the church. When it was a time for prayer, the Christians permitted Hazrat Umar to offer his prayers in the church. However, Hazrat Umar came outside and offered his prayer, lest people who come later took this as a justification to annex the Christian churches. During Hazrat Umar's stay in Jerusalem, the officers of the Muslim army would invite him for meals. They would prepare the meals and would request Hazrat Umar to come to their tent. Hazrat Umar would honour them by graciously accepting their request. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah, however, did not invite Hazrat Umar for a meal, and Hazrat Umar stated to him, Among the officers of the army, everyone except you has invited me for a meal. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah submitted, O leader of the faithful, I fear that if I were to invite you, you will not be able to possess control over your eyes. In other words, he would be overcome with emotions. Hazrat Umar afterwards went to his tent and saw that it was completely empty except for the saddle of his horse, which he used as a sleeping mat, and he would use the soft layer that sits above the saddle as his pillow. The soft layer of the saddle would be used as a pillow, and the saddle itself would be used as a sleeping mat. There was a piece of dried bread in one corner of the tent. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah took the bread and placed it on the ground in front of Hazrat Umar. He then brought a clay pot which contained some water. Upon observing this, Hazrat Umar began to cry and then tightly embraced Hazrat Abu Ubaidah and stated, You are my brother. Among my companions, there is no one who has not partaken anything of this world and nor has the world partaken anything from him except you. To this, Abu Ubaidah submitted, Did I not tell you before that you will not be able to control your eyes? Thereafter, Hazrat Umar came out and stood amongst the people. And after offering praise to Allah the Almighty, which he is worthy of, and invoking salutations upon the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he stated, O followers of Islam, verily Allah has fulfilled His promise He made with you, and He granted you support against the enemy. He has granted you these lands and has firmly established you in them. Thus you ought to express gratitude to your Lord for these bounties. You should abstain from all those deeds which go against the commandments of God, for this is ingratitude to God. There are many a people who have bestowed the bounties of God, and in turn they became ungrateful, and failing to repent, their honour was taken away from them. In other words, 
if one fails to repent after having become ungrateful, then their honor is taken away from them. Their rewards are taken away from them and the enemy overcome them. Since many of the army chiefs and officers had assembled in Ilya, therefore Hazrat Umar remained there for a few days and issued important instructions. One day Hazrat Bilal complained, O leader of the faithful, our officers in charge eat the fowl's meat and white bread, whereas the general Muslim population eats ordinary food. Hazrat Umar inquired from the officers and they submitted, Everything is very cheap here. For the price we pay for brown bread and dates in Hijaz, we can acquire fowl's meat and white bread. Hazrat Umar did not compel the officers to refrain from this food, but he did issue an instruction that in addition to their share from the spoils of war and salaries, the meals for every soldier must also be provided. Another detail of this is mentioned in other sources as follows. Yazid Yazid bin Abi Sufyan stated, The market price here is quite cheap, and for same cost we can buy provisions to last us a month. The food items mentioned by Hazrat Bilal can be easily acquired here. Hazrat Umar Farooq stated, If that is the case, then eat to your fill. However, I will not leave you until you present me with a list of commodities and its prices. I will prepare a budget for the Muslims facing straitened circumstances who dwell in the cities and villages. Subsequently, according to this budget, whatever needs the Muslims have can be acquired from it and each household will be provided with wheat, barley, honey, olives, etc. Hazrat Umar then addressed the Muslims who were faced with straitened circumstances and were not well off, saying, Your leaders will continue to provide for you from this list which I have prepared for you. And this will be in addition to whatever I send you from the Baitul Mal. However, if any of your leaders fail to provide you with these provisions, then you should inform me, and I will remove that person from their post. While staying in Ilya, it was a time for prayer, and people insisted Hazrat Umar to instruct Hazrat Bilal to call the Azan. Hazrat Bilal stated that he had vowed to never call the Azan again after the demise of the Holy Prophet. But nevertheless, he would fulfill the instruction of Hazrat Umar. Subsequently, upon the instruction of Hazrat Umar, when Hazrat Bilal called the Azan, all of the companions who were present were reminded of the era of the Holy Prophet. They became so emotional that they began to profusely weep. Hazrat Umar also became so emotional that he started to hiccup, and the impact of this incident on him remained for a long time. Upon returning from Bait al Maqdis, Hazrat Umar toured the entire land and assessed the conditions at the borders and made the security arrangements to ensure the protection of the land. The purpose of Hazrat Umar travelling to Bethlehem had been fulfilled and he returned to Medina on the same route as he had come from. Upon reaching Jabia, Hazrat Umar stayed there for a few days and then departed from there on his horse. Hazrat Ali and the other Muslims had already been informed of the work that had been carried out by Hazrat Umar in Palestine. And so they gave him a huge welcome just outside of Medina. Hazrat Umar entered Masjid Nabawi and offered two rakats of prayer near the pulpit. He then stood at the pulpit and people gathered around him. Hazrat Umar stood up and after praising Allah the Almighty and invoking salutations upon the Holy Prophet he stated, O people, indeed, Allah the Almighty has bestowed His blessings upon this Ummah. 
so that people may offer praise to Him and express their gratitude to Him. Allah has honored the message of this Ummah and united the people together. He has established victory for them and granted them help against the enemy. He conferred upon them honor, established them in the land and granted them the land, property and wealth of the idolaters. Thus, continue to express gratitude to Allah the Almighty and He will grant you manyfold in return. Praise Allah the Almighty for the bounties He has blessed you with and He will continue granting these to you. May Allah enable us all to be from among those who are grateful to Him. After this, Hazrat Umar came down from the pulpit. Hazrat Khalib the first radiallahu anhu states, During the siege of Jerusalem, the priests stated that they will only grant entry to the Muslims if their Khalifa comes. Hazrat Umar departed in a simple and modest manner, whereby he would take turns with his servant to sit on the camel. Abu Ubaidah submitted, You should change your clothes and mount upon this horse. Hazrat Umar accepted this request of his, but after a short while later, asked for the same clothes and camel he had arrived in. When he entered, the Tabriq and others were overawed by his presence and handed over the keys. They stated that they could not challenge such a commander. This is the manner in which Hazrat Khalid Tumsi the first mentioned this. Regarding this, Hazrat Muslim states, In Jerusalem, there is a mosque which is as sacred for the Jews as the Holy Kaaba is for us. In the time of the Muslims when Jerusalem was conquered, the Christians wished for Hazrat Umar to pray inside the sacred site. Hazrat Umar said, I fear that if I offer prayers inside, then Muslims will take over it as their own place of worship. And thus Hazrat Umar offered prayers outside. In another instance, Hazrat Muslim writes, Palestine was conquered during the era of Hazrat Umar When Hazrat Umar went to Jerusalem, the priests came outside to hand over the keys of the city and said, You are now our sovereign. Offer prayers in our mosque, which is sacred to both you and us, so that you can be content that you have offered prayers in our holy site. Hazrat Umar replied, I cannot offer prayers inside your place of worship, as I am their caliph. Tomorrow the Muslims will snatch this away, claiming it to be their sacred site. Therefore I will offer prayers outside, so that your mosque is not taken away from you. Nonetheless, in 17 Hijri, the Byzantines made a last attempt. And owing to this attempt, the Muslims were able to conquer all of Syria. Since the Islamic conquests continued and the borders of the Islamic government continued to gain more territory, the neighboring empires were alarmed, fearing that one day it would be their turn. Therefore, the people of Jazeera, which was an area between Iraq and Syria, lost hope in Yazdegerd after he fled to Ray. For this reason, they wrote to Heraclius, stating that if he sent an army along the sea in order to remove the Muslims from their occupied lands, they would assist him. Heraclius pondered over the matter and concluded that there was no harm in sending an army. 
the people of Jazeera wrote to Heraclius for a second time, from which he understood that there was no doubting their intentions. He saw that most of the people were Christian Arabs who were firmly rooted on their faith to the extent that they deemed it better to die for this cause. It had been over a year that Heraclius had left the wars in the land of Syria and so he no longer had that fear that he previously had in his heart. He also saw that the frontier areas were strong enough to withstand an attack by the Muslims. Furthermore, his naval fleet was still intact. He also knew that the Muslims were fearful of the sea and anything associated with it. This gave strength to his resolve and he agreed to the request of the people of Jazeera. In his letter, he incited the tribes and wrote that the fleet had been prepared. They will arrive at Antioch from Alexandria carrying the army and war supplies. Upon receiving the letter of Heraclius, the tribes took their army of 30,000 and marched towards Homs. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah received information about all of this. He called Hazrat Khalid bin Walid from Kinesarin in order to seek his advice. Both commanders decided that in order to confront the enemy, all the Muslim armies should gather in northern Syria. Thus, all the armies in Antioch, Hamad, Aleppo, and all nearby garrisons were ordered to gather in Homs. At the same time, news had spread throughout the country that Heraclius had sent an army via the sea and also that the tribes of Jazeera had set off to attack Homs. People crowded around and looking over each other's heads and began asking each other just how this attack by Heraclius and his allies could be stopped. When the fleet carrying the army of Heraclius reached Antioch, the gates of the city opened for them. The people had turned against the Muslims and a revolt began in most areas of northern Syria. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah realized that he was besieged in Homs as the rebels had surrounded it and he saw the enemy advancing both from the sea and the desert. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah gathered his people and said, I have sent a letter to the leader of the faithful explaining the delicate situation and also requested for assistance. He then asked them whether they should go out to fight the enemy or remain inside the forts in wait for the reinforcements from Medina. Only Khalid bin Walid was of the opinion that they should go outside and face the enemy in open plain. All other army commanders were of the opinion that they should remain inside the fort and request for reinforcements immediately. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah accepted the opinions of those who said to stay inside the fort and disagreed with the advice of Hazrat Khalid to fight outside the fort. Thus the walls were reinforced and the opinion of his commanders was sent to the Khalifa. Hazrat Umar would never allow the erroneous thinking that the difficult situation faced by the Islamic armies in Iraq and Syria would hinder the Islamic victories that they were enduring in the beginning of his Khilafat, i.e. the conditions of the early days could be faced now as well. For this reason, Hazrat Umar ordered for the towns of Kufa and Basra to be inhabited and it was for this reason that both of these towns contained garrisons for the Muslim army, a place where no Muslims resided.
Aside from this, from among the other seven towns, each town had a cavalry unit of 4,000, which was fully equipped and always ready for any emergency situations. Thus, when the letter of Hazrat Abu Ubaidah reached Hazrat Umar and he realized that the great commander-in-chief was in grave danger, he commanded Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, saying, The day you receive this letter, send Ka'ka bin Amr with reinforcements to Homs on the same day. Abu Ubaidah is under siege. Ensure the reinforcements reach there as quickly as possible. Hazrat Saad acted on the guidance of the leader of the faithful and on the very same day he sent an experienced cavalry unit of 4,000 riders under the command of Kaka from Kufa to Homs. The situation was so perilous that Kaka taking a 4,000 strong cavalry unit was not enough because the army coming from Jazeera to Homs alone was 30,000 and the army sent by Heraclius to Antioch on boats was in addition to this. Hazrat Umar knew that his soldiers were contesting in almost every city of Syria. If they left these places and went to Homs, the entire administration of Syria would collapse. For this reason, after giving the order for Kaka to travel from Kufa, Hazrat Umar also issued several other commands which exhibited Hazrat Umar's foresightedness and wisdom. The tribes coming from Jazeera to Homs took the brazen step because they thought that their settlements were outside the reach of the Islamic army. If these settlements were attacked, they would retreat and the pressure on Abu Ubaidah and his army would be relieved. For this reason, in his letter to Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas, Hazrat Umar wrote, Send an army to Raqqa, a town in Jazeera, under the command of Suhail bin Adi. The people of Jazeera were the ones who encouraged the Byzantines to attack Homs. And before this, the people of Qarqisia had done the same thing. The second army should go to attack Nasibain under the command of Abdullah bin Itban. The people residing here incited the people of Qarqisia. After this, go to Haran, the capital of Jazeera, and also to Roha, and remove the enemy from there. The third army is to be sent to the Christian Arab tribes of Rabia and Tanukh, residing in Jazeera under the command of Walid bin Uqba. Also, send Ayaz bin Ghanam to this battle in Jazeera. If there is a war, then the other commanders are to serve under the command of Ayaz bin Ghanam. Thus, when all of these commanders set off, the tribes of Jazeera lifted the siege of Homs and left. This was Hazrat Umar's strategy that instead of gathering one army, different contingents were sent to the places where the enemy army had come from. Subsequently, when the enemies realized that the Muslims were advancing towards their own towns and settlements, they would lift the siege and return to their areas. Hazrat Umar did not suffice at this. Hazrat Umar understood that despite suffering many defeats, Heraclius sent an army via the sea because he had full conviction in his power and he believed that he could fight against the Muslims alone. The biggest proof of this 
was that the commander-in-chief of the naval fleet from Alexandria was his son, Constantine. According to Hazrat Umar's plan, Ka'ka bin Amr left with 4,000 horsemen towards Homs. Suhail bin Adi, Abdullah bin Itban, Walid bin Uqba and Ayaz bin Ghanim left for the northern towns of Jazeera. Hazrat Umar left for Homs from Medina and stayed in Jabia. The people of Jazeera supported the Byzantines in the siege of Homs. They learned of the Islamic army's arrival from Iraq. However, they were not aware of whether the army would attack their city of Jazeera or would attack Homs. Hence, they returned to their city in order to defend their brothers and abandon the Byzantines. One day upon waking up, Abu Ubaidah learned that the tribes from Jazeera had returned to their country. And now only the army of Heraclius remained. He called the commanders of his army and said that he wished to go out into the battlefield against the Byzantines. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Khalid bin Walid became very happy and said that before the Byzantines could gather themselves amidst the changed circumstances, they should attack them immediately. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah spoke passionately to the soldiers of the army and said, Muslims, whoever remains steadfast today and stays alive, they will receive property and wealth. And if you are killed, then you will receive the riches of martyrdom. I testify that the Holy Prophet ﷺ has said that whoever dies and is not a disbeliever, they will surely enter paradise. The army was already restless and ready to attack. Abu Ubaidah's speech brought about an even greater passion within them, and everyone immediately prepared their arms. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah led his army to the center, while Hazrat Khalid bin Walid led his to the right, and Hazrat Abu Abbas led his to the left. The two sides battled, and within a short amount of time, they defeated the Byzantines. When Kaka bin Amr reached Homs with the army from Kufa, it had already been three days since the battle had finished. On the other hand, Hazrat Umar had just reached Jabia on his way to Syria when Hazrat Abu Ubaidah's messenger met him and informed him that Allah the Almighty had granted the Muslims victory over the Byzantines three days before Kaka even reached Homs. He also asked about whether Kaka and his army should be given a share of the spoils or not. Hazrat Umar was relieved and after receiving this news, he did not see any need to continue his journey. He wrote a letter from there to the custodian of the nation, Abu Ubaidah, saying that the people of Kufa should be included in the distribution of spoils because the very news of their arrival worried the enemy due to which they suffered defeat. May Allah the Almighty grant a good reward to the people of Kufa for they protect their city and help people of other cities. Then he set out towards Medina. After this defeat, the Byzantine ruler became so disheartened that he never returned to Syria. When the rebels learned that the Byzantine armies had boarded their ships and fled. Their rebellion dissipated at the same time. This occurred in 17 Hijri. Three years later, in 20 Hijri, the year 640 CE, Heraclius passed away. These incidents are ongoing and God willing will continue in future sermons. At this time, I wish to mention about some deceased members. The first mention is of Chaudhary Sayyid Ahmed Lakhan Sahib, retired station master, who had been living in Canada these days. He passed away at the age of 86. Verily, to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the grandson of Chaudhary Sikandar Ali Sahib and Hazrat Gujar Bibi Sahiba, companions of the promised Messiah, 
Hazrat Chaudhary Sikandar Ali Sahib radiyallahu anhu pledged allegiance at the hands of the Promised Messiah on 30th of March 1902. From 1904 to 1928, he had the opportunity of teaching in Talimul Islam High School. He was among the pioneer teachers who were appointed during the lifetime of the Promised Messiah and Chaudhary Sayyid Sahib was his grandson. Chaudhary Sayyid Sahib also served the faith wherever he had the opportunity by the grace of Allah. He was a Musi by the grace of Allah. He is survived by his wife, six sons and three daughters. Due to providing a good upbringing, all of his children are serving the community in one way or another. One of his sons, Fahim Ahmed Lakhan, is serving as a missionary in Kenya. And due to being in the field of service, he was unable to attend his father's funeral. May Allah the Almighty grant him patience and forbearance, and may he treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy. The deceased had a great passion and honor for his faith. When he was a student, in 1953, he was present at the convention held by Majlis Ahrar along with the other non-Ahmadi students. When Ataullah Shah Bukhari raised heinous allegations against the Promised Messiah and used derogatory language, Sayyid Saib immediately stood up and challenged the cleric. Sayyid immediately stood up and challenged the cleric and in the middle of the speech he said to him that he was lying and silenced him. Upon this the cleric said, grab this Mirzai and beat him. He was beaten severely. Nonetheless, there was a commotion in the gathering and owing to which it was suspended. He always advised his children never to be silenced or afraid when it came to Ahmadiyyat. The second mention is of Muhammad Shahabuddin Sahib, who is the Naib Amir of Bangladesh. He passed away on 12th of July. Verily to Allah we belong unto him, shall we return? He accepted Ahmadiyyat after seeing a dream in 1964 when he was 18 years old. He was a Musi. He was an enduring servant of the community and possessed many great qualities. He was an ardent devotee of Khilafat. He was trustworthy. He had a quiet disposition and understood what is best for the benefit of the community. Before his demise, he fulfilled all of his dues for Vasiyat. His eldest son, Shamsuddin Ahmed Masoom Sahib, is a missionary. He is survived by four sons and three daughters. He was influenced by the preaching of his uncle and accepted Ahmadiyyat and had to face a great deal of opposition in his own home, which he endured with patience and steadfastness. In 1963, he endured this opposition for a few months, after which he left his home and first went to Brahmanbariya and then Dhaka, where he settled. 
He was later married into an old Ahmadi family. One of his qualities was that he was always content. He knew how to be content even with a small amount while remaining patient and thankful. Due to his trustworthiness, non-Ahmadi businessmen had a great deal of respect for him and everyone thought of him to be pious and a good businessman in this regard. May Allah the Almighty treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy. The next mention is of respected Raul Abdullah Sahib from Argentina who passed away on 6th of September. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The missionary in Argentina writes that he was among the pioneer Ahmadis of the community in Argentina. The Argentinian community is quite new and was established only a few years ago. He was first introduced to the Ahmadiyya Jamaat in 2018 at a book fair. When he got in contact with the community, his non-Ahmadi friends, who were Muslims, tried to distance him from the Jamaat. Despite this, however, he continued practicing in programs regularly. Due to the influence of his friends, he did have some doubts and concerns in his mind. In order to remove them, he attended the Jalsaslana in UK. He came here at his own expense and then also met with me. After this meeting, his doubts and concerns were removed and he became completely certain and thus did the bayt. Even before doing bayt, he was already an Ahmadi and would preach Ahmadiyya to others. However, he had not officially done bayt until he came here. He was the only Muslim in his family. Until the very end, his friends tried distancing him from the community. However, he resolutely remained steadfast upon Ahmadiyya. He had a great deal of honor for the community and would always proudly introduce himself as an Ahmadi to those he knew and even those he didn't. He would take part in the community's programs with great sincerity and enthusiasm. May Allah the Almighty treat him with forgiveness and mercy and enable his friends and family to accept Ahmadiyyat. After the Friday prayers, I will offer their funeral prayers in absentia. Allah, 